a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and I've got an exciting topic here for you. No, 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 okay, listen. I think it's exciting. You have, in the past, I know, heard me get all uh, worked up over odd and obscure and unlikely uh, events in Congress and in elections, okay? E- each, one of these, each one of these areas has certain rules that govern it, all right? And sometimes those rules, uh, when they are tested fascinating things uh, have happened. What am I talking about? So a few weeks ago, I went on rambling about a circumstance, a very unlikely but plausible scenario in which Nancy Pelosi could end up the next president of the United States. Let that sink in. I've worked this all out. Uh, I've spoken to the smart people. And there is a scenario in which Nancy Pelosi becomes uh, the next president of the United States. Uh, Let me give you a a brief recap of what could uh, bring that scenario about. And then I'll tell you why uh, it's interestingly relevant today uh, where Speaker Pelosi uh, is (laughs) is looking at this possibility. So here's here's what would need to happen for Speaker Pelosi to become the next president of the United States and not uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden. First off, it starts in uh, the Electoral College. There would need to be a tie in the Electoral College. All right. That hasn't happened in, you know, I forget the date, but a long, long time hasn't happened. Uh, But there are some some scenarios uh, in which, uh, you know, voters cast their vote. Uh, this year, and the Electoral College casts its votes, and those come up uh, exactly 50-50 tied. Uh, now, you might think, okay, well, in that case, we just refer to the, we just defer to the popular vote. Nope, sorry, that doesn't happen. Uh, Electoral College, right now, at least, is in charge of, of that decision. And if they can't make that decision, it doesn't revert to the popular vote. Do you, do you know who has next say? Yeah, the House of Representatives. But very interestingly, it's not a, it's not the votes that you are accustomed to seeing take place on the floor of the House where they vote on legislation or things like that. No, it is a decision that is made by each of the respective uh, delegations, state delegations. Right. So if if say California, so we, we know that the House of Representatives right now is controlled by Democrats. There are more Democrats in the House of Representatives than there are Republicans. Very simple concept to understand. And yet it is not along those lines that a tie is broken in the Electoral College. Here's how it works. Each state represented in the House of Representatives, all the states, each state will get one vote. 
the vote cast by each state is determined by the majority party in that state's delegation. So here in Utah, the House delegation is comprised currently of three Republicans, one Democrat. And so those three Republicans, of course, would cast their vote likely for uh, the Republican nominee. They'd send that vote to uh, the House floor. Utah's one vote in the tie-breaking vote would be for uh, the Republican, likely. Now, if you extrapolate that to all the other states, you know what you get? You get a Republican majority right now. But, <laughs> but as I said, in this unlikely scenario in which Speaker Pelosi uh, becomes the next president of the United States, there would be, after uh, this most recent uh, election, there would be then a tie in that sense. And so the states would be equally controlled, or at least there would be an equal majority uh, in each state's delegation so that the vote emerging from the House to break the tie of the Electoral College would itself be a tie. Okay, so that then leads us to uh, a stalemate of sorts. There's no next step. And so uh, you wonder, all right, well, what does the Senate have to say? There is a scenario in which uh, the Senate uh, finds itself uh, tied, deadlocked. If that tie and deadlock proceed all the way uh, to January 20th, and there is no president uh, to to take office, if there is no uh, cut-and-dry winner, you know what happens? Yeah, it in that case, it reverts to line of succession. Line of succession. And you know who would be standing there waiting? Yeah, Speaker Pelosi. All right, that is all. That, that is the, the, the wild and, and twisty way and the wild path for Speaker Pelosi to possibly become uh, president of the United States. That is uh, very, very unlikely. But if we go all the way back to the start of these toppled dominoes and look at what triggered that, it is a tie in the Electoral College. It is not common, hasn't happened in uh, in forever. And maybe I'll ask the texters to fact check me on this one. Uh, I think it dates back to uh, like 1870-something uh, since the, the Electoral College uh, resulted in a tie. But right now, uh, Speaker Pelosi is preparing for that possibility. How is she doing so? Well, she understands that she understands that the vote to be cast uh, by the House is dependent on a, a majority hold on each state's delegation. And so she has sent uh, a letter to her Democratic caucus uh, reminding them of this reality and uh, pushing for uh, campaign help in the in the in the states or rather in the districts, the swing districts that might be able to uh, enlarge the control uh, of the House by Democrats. It's fascinating. A letter. Uh, let me scroll down here and share with you some of what uh, Speaker Pelosi says. She says the Constitution says that a candidate must receive a majority of the state delegations to win. We must achieve that majority of delegations or keep the Republicans from doing so. So you see that there? After all I've explained to you uh, throughout this wild and twisty uh, you know, scenario in which Speaker Pelosi becomes the president, uh, she knows that. She knows that. And if you read between the lines, between the lines, uh, you can hear it in this portion of her letter. I'll read it again. The Constitution says that a candidate must receive a majority of the state delegations to win. 
Now, that is, again, if the Electoral College uh, results in a tie, then it's to the House and those uh, state delegations make the decision. Next sentence, she writes, we must achieve that majority of delegations. In that case, then, of course, the, the House selects the president. They'd likely select Joe Biden, and that'd be the end of the story. But she keeps going. We must achieve that majority of delegations or keep the Republicans from doing so. So what is that scenario? That is the next step. That is the next domino that would need to fall in order for Speaker Pelosi to become president of the United States. She smells it. You know, it's far off. Uh, but, but she smells it. There is a chance. There is a crazy far off chance uh, that that works out. I'll continue a little bit of the letter here. Uh, She writes, we're trying to win every seat in America, but there's obviously some places where a congressional district is even more important than just getting the member into the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Illustrating the fact that, uh, yeah, we want to win everything, but like we got to make sure that we can like really win everything. Uh, so anyway, very interesting, and I, and I appreciate your uh, indulgence <laughs> as I go down uh, again this odd and twisty path that is drawn from uh, statute in the Constitution and rules governing how we select our president. I know, I know that uh, you know it's not top of mind for most folks, but the reason I share this with you and the reason I find it so interesting is that uh, the bottom line. Our country, its government, and the way it is run is larger than the individuals that occupy the positions. There is a system laid out uh, for uh, continuity of government to continue, uh, for peaceful transfers of power. The Constitution and U.S. statute has a plan for almost all uh, eventual scenarios. And if you ever get discouraged or if you ever get uh, feeling defeated that this country uh, is upside down and it's in trouble and that we're hanging by a thread, just know that there is an inspired document that guides it all and that that inspired document is much larger uh, than those individuals that occupy uh, elected office or appointed office here in this country. The the Constitution ought to be uh, the North Star. Uh, That's the way I feel. I hope you feel similarly, and I hope you're able to take comfort in that. Quick break. When we return, we're going to be speaking to a gentleman named Rusty Rice Jr. Now, who's Rusty? Rusty ends up being the great-great-grandson of the first woman to ever cast a legal ballot here in the United States. That's Seraph Young Ford. We have, over the past number of months, come to know her very well, and it was only a few short months ago that Mr. Rusty Rice discovered that he is a descendant of that historic figure. Uh, That relationship took him to Washington, D.C. today. Why? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. 
That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.